I'd ask you to join me by looking at John chapter 1 this morning, John chapter 1. You can find it in your Bibles on, we have two different Bibles, one on page 833 and one 886. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take one and keep one of those black Bibles. We're going to be there in just a minute. We're going to look at the first 18 verses and really go through them rather quickly, but hit the heart of what John wants to get for us as we start this book, this gospel. I want to take you back 3,300 years when Moses led his people out of Egypt, which was really the hand of God, and he had brought them through and into the wilderness and onto Mount Sinai and down from Mount Sinai, and God was going to lead them, continuing on the journey, and Moses knew that there was no way he could continue on unless God showed and made his promise to him that God would be with him. And so Moses approached God because of their close intimacy, and he said, I can't keep going unless you go with me. And he pleads assurance, and he says, show me your glory that I may know that you will be with me. God, I need to see you. I need you to show me your face and your glory. And God responds to him in Exodus 13. I will make my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I'll be merciful to whom I'll be merciful. But he says this, but you cannot see my face. For a man shall not see my face and live. You see, God, wasn't, God doesn't have a body like us. And so he's speaking in a more metaphorical way. But the central part of God's glory could not be looked upon. And so what God does is he, lets, he covers him with his hand. And he lets him see the backside of his glory and not his face, and God comes and shines upon him, and the Lord, it says here in chapter 34, that the Lord God came before Moses in answer to Moses' prayer, and he proclaimed his name to him, and he said this, the Lord, the Lord, mark this, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgressions. Wow, seven glorious promises. And then he says, but who will by no means clear the guilty and because he visits the iniquity on them. Moses receives God's word, his assurance. And when Moses comes down on the mountain, the people see him and his face is like lit up because in shining and glowing so much so that he had to put a veil over his face because of his coming in contact with the very, not the face of God, but the glory of God, even a part of it. And so much of his glory was God's name to him. Now, we come this morning to glory. 
We enter into, and we do that every week when we come before God's Word. But we are coming this morning to the Gospel of John. This is the first Sunday in which we will go from about 28 to 30 sermons, which will take us into next year because we'll have a few breaks here and there and some others that we'll be preaching. But we are beginning in John, and I want you to look with me at John 1, 1 through 18. And as we come to this book... It is a book that does not begin by telling us who authored the book, but we know from other sources, very good reasons, we believe that it was John the Apostle. Not John the Baptist, who we'll actually read about in just a minute, but John the son of Zebedee. He was mentioned in the gospel, not by name, but he is referred to when you read through John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I just, I encourage you in the next months, you will get so much more out of this if you take these Sunday mornings and you turn them as Turn them into a time where you come to study God's word with me, but then you go through your week and you read the gospel of John. You can see what we're, we're going to be preaching the next week in the bulletin, as well as I would encourage you to read a chapter a day in the gospel of John. And in so doing, every really three weeks, you'll read the gospel of John. It is a glorious book. John's gospel is so different than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Only all you have is these 18 verses of introduction, and you're right into Jesus' adult life and his beginning of his ministry. In this gospel, we find him, John skips many of the stories that we find in the other gospels, and he adds some other stories, including some very important conversations that Jesus is going to have with different people, including his disciples. And he starts out with this book of introduction with 18 verses. It's called the prologue. It's called this introduction. It's packed dense. And I could spend five sermons in these first 18 verses. And what I want to do is because each of these verses will really bring out themes in all, other, all the other 21 chapters, I don't, I'm just going to take one sermon and we're going to see these verses popping up throughout the Gospel of John But really what we'll find is that John has a clear motive and incentive, a purpose. As he states at the end of this gospel, which he says, my purpose in showing you the signs of Jesus Christ is so that you will believe that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the King, and in believing you'll have life in his name. Let's, let's go there. Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man, men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now, John was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. 
the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be the children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's right hand. He has made him known. Friends, these are the words of the Lord. And let us be thankful to God for what he has given us. And so this morning, I want to say to you three things from this passage about the glory of the Word of God. And when I say the Word of God, I'm going to speak of something a little bit different than this book. I want to speak to you and I want to say to you, behold, look, look, gaze upon the the glory of the Word of God. I pray that over the next 28 or 32 weeks, however long it takes us in the Gospel of John, that God would do a supernatural work in you. No matter what age you are in and no matter what maturity level, whether you are a Christian right now or you're kind of seeking or you're just kind of going with the flow, that God would, would open your eyes, that you would behold the glory of the Word of God, and I just have my three points this morning are this. I, I want you to be, I pray that God will help us to be a, a little bit awestruck, if not greatly awestruck, by the reality of the glory of His Word, and that we would see the good news of the, glo- the revealing of the glory of His Word, and that we would see the necessity, the essential reality that we need to receive the glory of his word. Let me begin with this. May God help us this morning not yawn as we face this subject, but, but by his spirit, and that's why I pray, and Roy prayed this, God, would you do a supernatural work in us as we look at the gospel of John, and will you cause us to see and hear and behold the reality of the awesomeness of the glory of God's word. He says this in verse 1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men." Friends, the reality of the glory of the word is in this. There is a reality that we need to come to grips with. There is a glory 
that surpasses all glory. I remember one of the most glories that I experienced as a young person, 10th grade, going on a three-week Western vacation with our whole family, eight of us, in a suburban with a trailer. I can't believe we made it. And, and I remember driving up to, man, it blanks, it blanks where the, the, sit, the closest city is, but we hit the Grand Canyon. And when I saw the Grand Canyon for the first time, I had heard of the Grand Canyon. I have read, seen pictures of the Grand Canyon and probably even a little descriptions of the Grand Canyon. But when I saw the Grand Canyon, it may have been the first time it took something actually, you say metaphorically, took my breath away. This took my breath away, the beauty, and let me say, the glory of the Grand Canyon. And there... The reality is the Grand Canyon was there a lot longer than I had ever seen it. God made the Grand Canyon through different circumstances, but the reality here is, was there, and I want you to know that there is a reality of a glory that's out there that you and I must come to grips with. It is the glory of the Word of God. And the Word of God in this, these verses is not just the message like in the Old Testament when God said, let there be light, and there was light. The Word of God created the world. The Word here we see clearly is a person. He says this person is in, was in the beginning, and he, this person was with God, and this God person is separate from God. He was with God, but he is God as well. And he is a person that was in the beginning. That means he was eternal. He never had a beginning. And this person is a glorious person. And we learn quickly that all things were made by him. And there was nothing that was made that wasn't made by him. Everything. All of it. We saw this in Colossians chapter 2, or Colossians chapter 1, when we said that we saw that he, all things were made in him and through him. This person we quickly realize, but we actually don't see till the end of this paragraph that he names him Jesus Christ, is this word. He is called the word of God, a word that was in the beginning who was with God, who, who was God, and he made all things through him. This is glorious. Oh, I pray that we would not find these things just kind of like, well, that's just church talk. We've, we've always kind of known those kinds of things. You see, in the Old Testament, God, God allowed the people of Israel to understand things about his glory and to see his glory in just different small ways, to just tremble and be at awe with the reality of God's glory. Moses could only look at the backside of God's glory, but to look at his face would mean to perish. God's glory revealed his holiness. Just like a sun, glory is its heat and its light, the glory of God is the revealing of his holiness and his majesty and his goodness and his supremacy and his sufficiency and his sovereignty, his everything about him. It, and, it, and it's blinding to us that we can't comprehend. In the Old Testament, it was the Ark of the Covenant that resided in the Holy of Holies where God's glory 
dwelt in the tabernacle, a tent that God had Israel constructed because he was trying to fashion in their minds that God is so great and so other than them, and yet God draws near to them and allows them to have a relationship with him, yet afar and distant, and because of sin, the glory of God we see in this passage is in the glory of his word that is his outward manifestation of himself in the second person of the Trinity, not only God the Father, but God the Son. And God the Son is the very word of God, the, the expression and the outward manifestation of God, or as Hebrews says it in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus, this word is the radiance of the glory of God, and he is the exact imprint of God's nature, and he upholds the universe right now by the word of his power. And I want to say this morning is Jesus is the glory, the glory of God. And it is awesome and it's awful. Now, we use the word awful in always a negative, almost a, that's bad, bad awesome. It's not bad awesome. God is never bad. He is absolutely glorious. He is absolutely good. But I say awful in that I, I'm guessing that a good portion of you have seen the first movie of the Raiders of the, or the, the Indiana Jones series, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And in that story, a story that is about an archaeologist who does not believe in God at all. In fact, he's this skeptic and he scoffs at throughout the movie. And then he becomes kind of a believer in the divine at the end. And at the end, when the Ark of the Covenant in this fictional story is going to be opened, he has come to realize that the glory of this God that his presence was in the Ark is so great that if he had his eyes open and he looked, he would perish. And we find in a horrifying way, the Nazis all destroyed. That's good. But he and Marion, they survive. And But you get this glimpse of awfulness of the glory of God. There is a side in which we should think in terms of God is so glorious that for you and me as a holy person to actually stand in his presence would be unbelievably devastating. And we do not understand the goodness of God and the gospel of God and the forgiveness of God and all of his his attributes until we understand there is an awesomeness of the glory of God and it should make us tremble. But this passage says at the end of chapter of this prologue, he says, this Jesus, he has made him known. He has made him known. Now, that leads us to the second thing I want you to see is the revealing of the glory of the word of God and the good news. There's good news in, in, in all this, this book of John, this gospel of John is about a good news. And it's not just that there is a reality of the glory of God, but this reality has come to light. It has been revealed to us. I get to declare to you week after week, the elders of this church as pastors declare to you, 
that the glory of God has been revealed to this world. That is why we are Christians. That is why these two young men are going to be baptized in a few minutes. Is because the glory of God came and there was good news and he revealed himself to us. Look at verses 16 through 18 where he says, the word became, or verse 14, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. And it says in verse 16, from His fullness, Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For His law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The Old Testament prophecy said that prepare the way, let mountains be brought down and valleys lifted up make the rough places plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh shall see it the Lord has spoken for the Lord God comes with his might and God John tells us that the glory of the word has come into the world God's word didn't just remain at a distant way. And what we see in this passage is God's word was revealed not just like it did in the Old Testament through visions and through just messengers, how glorious that was that God did that, through tabernacle and Ark of the Covenant. But God's glory came because God came in a person. And we read in verse 14, That the word who is God, who is in the beginning, who has made everything, became a man. It is a miracle. It is a mystery. No one can truly comprehend how this could be. The life and light, Jesus is the life who brings light to the world. Jesus is the one who brings life, came and brought light to the world by literally coming and becoming a man. And it says he dwelt among us. That word dwelt among us had to do with the word he tabernacled among us. And Jews at that time would think, yes, I remember God had us set up a tabernacle. And when we were out there and his glory would come with a pillar of glory of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. We read that in Exodus and, and yet he's saying, there's a new way in which God tabernacled among us. And he sent a person. That person is the reality of the glory of God, and he's the revealing of the glory of God, and he has come. And God, John's gospel in 21 chapters will reveal chapter after chapter, story after story, revelation after revelation. As John recorded what he saw as an eyewitness and heard with his ears, he wrote these things down in order for us to see the revealing of the glory of God so that our hearts would see it and in a much greater way than Moses' face was lit up. And when people looked at him, he said, you're different, Moses. So he would change us as we see the glory of God. This passage in these verses says this man, this word in him was life. And his life was the light of, light of man. Jesus came and he brought light. He came into the world 
And he would allow us to see the glory of the face of God. Not just the back, but the face. If you want to see God, you'll see him by beholding Jesus of Nazareth. And I want to say to you, you need to see Jesus unless you see Jesus. Unless you see God through Jesus, you will die and go to hell. Unless you do see Jesus in the way that this gospel is going to teach us, we will perish. The good news is that Jesus Christ came and he revealed the glory of God. And he came and we will find that this, this book shows us and it spends so much time bringing us just a little part of his life and then it brings us to his last days and then to the glorifying of himself as he goes to the cross We sang of the cross. We sang of the glory of the cross. It's glory that brings forgiveness of sins. The glory that brings us from alienation or being separated from God to God. And so as we, as I move to the third point, I I want you to hear though the revealing of the glory of God in Jesus. Here are some things that Jesus says. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Chapter 3, verse 36. Or chapter 6, 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes on him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Or chapter 5, verse 24. Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. And he does not come into his judgment, but has passed from death to life. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Lastly, I want you to see this, that the receiving of the glory of the word, the receiving of Jesus is absolutely essential. I know you know that. But it's my job to take this word and remind you, and for some of you to hear it, maybe for the first time, that it is absolutely essential and necessary for you to receive, you to receive the glory of the word of God. He says here, John says in verse 14, we have seen his glory. Friends, There are so many people in this world that have heard all of the stories of Jesus Christ, and yet they have not seen his glory. As I've been studying this week, my continual prayer, and I say it with an anticipation that God would love to answer this, but also a grief in my own heart. I, I grew up in a Christian home hearing the gospel all of the time, all of my life, went school for training and have been a pastor now for 21 years. And I feel like so often I can say, I've hardly seen the glory of Jesus. And that's not his fault. Oh, that God would help us. He says, we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father. How did they see his glory? Well, we see and we'll see in this letter how you see they saw it in his baptism when he's baptized in the Father, 
This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. In the transfiguration, we see it in the signs that he performed, sign after sign. The first one in chapter 2 when he turns water into wine and when he heals the blind man and the deaf. When he heals the lame, when he comes and forgives the adulterous woman, when we see him time after time showing the glory of God become flesh. We see a man whose absolute will is to do the will of my Father. Many do not see, and it is my prayer and my burden, that they're far, as, as Roy prayed in the pastoral prayer, wake us up from being sleepy. Our prayer could be, God, give us eyes to see because we don't see like we need to. If we saw Jesus like we needed to see him, if we see him as he ought to be seen in our hearts, we would, we would love him so much and we would share him in a whole different way. We would believe him in a certain way. And we find in this, even in this letter, or this first section in verses 1 through 18, we see this really important verses. And so would you look at verse 12 and 13? But to all who did receive him. What, what did he mean by that? Because right before that, he says, he came to his own, his own people, the Jews, and his own received him not. They rejected him. In fact, if we know the end of the story, they crucified him, and his own received him not, but not all the Jews. We have probably Nicodemus, who we're going to find throughout this letter, and we find out many others who are following him, his disciples. But then he says, but to all who did receive him, and we're going to find out what does that mean to be received, to, to believe, the next phrase, who believed in his name. They believed who he revealed himself to be. They realized he is the son of God. He is the Christ, the Messiah. And with that, they believed, and they changed everything. It took them a while. They struggled through it, but they realized that he is the Son of God, and it means they must receive him. And if they don't receive them, they're actually actively rejecting, and they're under the condemnation of God. It says here, though, that who received him, submitting themselves to Jesus' rule and reign, his authority, and then following him, those who believed him in such a way, he gave them the right or the power to become his children, God's children, not Jesus' children, the Father's children, who, and then he gives a description, who were born, not of blood or of the will of flesh or the will of man, they, they were born of God. If we know this, but we need to know this. If you are saved, it's because you were born of God. You were made alive so that you would receive and believe him, so that you would, your hearts would cherish him. And the purpose now of this letter, this book, this gospel that we're going to go through is for us each week to come before this glorious word with the prayer, God, I, if you have received him, it is, I've received you, I believe you, help me to see you like you really are in a greater way. Help me to believe, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, but God, I need so much more to see and cherish you. So I, I wrote this as, I, I want to share with you this conclusion of 
really a conclusion of this sermon and an introduction to the series, and it's this. The heart of this sermon, the, heart, the goal of the sermon series in the Gospel of John is for you to see, and it's on the title in your bulletin, it's on the title in the PowerPoint, is to see and savor Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John. It's not just to learn a bunch of wisdom or to feel peace about yourself. Now, all, it's, not to, it's not that you would have life and light, but I want all those things. But it's for you to see and to savor Jesus Christ, the person of Christ, with all your heart in such a way that it changes you. Because you see, for me and you to, to receive him, having believed in his name, and to become more like him with transformed desires and minds, and to share him with others is the result of having really seen him. To see Jesus rightly will mean that we will savor him. We must see Jesus, but more than just with natural eyes and just reading it on the page or hearing the stories from the sermons. We need spiritual sight. This is the sight that requires the new birth that John is going to talk about, Jesus is going to talk about in John 3. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. This is a sight given in the new birth. And as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, it is possible for us to be seeing, but not really see. To hear, be hearing, but not really hear. And the type of seeing that I pray that you, whether you be, you're a teenager or young as Gage or old as the Mondays and in between, I pray it'll be the type of seeing that you can't help but treasure him. And that's the, what I mean by the when I say savor, to taste and enjoy. We just saying taste and see that the Lord is good. To truly see Jesus is to taste and see that he's good and to begin enjoying him like you never have before. It is to see that he is the priceless treasure. He is the source of our purest pleasure. To see him is to know that he is the bread of life and we must need him. To see him is to know that he is the surpassing worth that nothing matters but to know him more. And to savor Jesus is to prize him with all our heart because he is worthy of being prized. To see him crucified, the Lamb of God, and to treasure what he has done for us and forgiving us of all our sins and bringing us into the family of God. And if you savor him like you ought, it's because you saw him rightly. And if you do not savor him, it's because you have not yet seen him like he truly is. And the deficiency is not in Jesus, but in our eyes, or should I say our hearts. The fact that we could study the work of Jesus and not savor him, or treasure him, or delight in him, or believe in him, or trust in him, or receive him, is not a testimony of his glory, but of our dark hearts which John will tell us about. We are blind spiritually and we need him to give us sight. I do believe there are stages of sight. If you have been saved and are born again, you see, 
But there is a sense in which you say, oh God, but help me to see more clearly. Many of us have grown cold and our eyes are blinded by cataracts of sin and spiritual apathy. We may have been saved, but we need a renewed work of grace in our hearts that we might see him. Because when we see him as we ought, we will savor him. We will worship him. We will give our lives for him, and we will share him with others. We will not be able to help ourselves. To see him rightly is to be made more like him. As Paul said, that we with unveiled faces, when we behold the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image, into him, from one degree of glory to another. So as we look to the gospel of John, we do it with open hands, with folded hands in prayer at times, saying, we must go to our great ophthalmologist or cardiologist, the spiritual one, and we might, that he might restore our eyes and our hearts to see Jesus in this gospel. The Holy Spirit is his means of doing that, and he'll do that. And so may I end with this, with the prayer that he will do that, that he will show us his glory. And I want you to see, I just, I want you to be reminded of these glorious words, words that you've probably heard before. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in me, he says, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Do you believe? Have you received him? Oh, I call you this morning. And in fact, I'm going to invite those that are getting baptized. You go, go get ready for getting baptized. And I'm going to pray here in a minute. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And I'm going to invite you to respond to this message and pray, and with, with a prayer of dedication and of asking of God, God, would you come and would you do a work in our lives? Would you, I want to invite you this morning to once again receive Christ, not to be saved over again if you've been saved, but together seek him with all your heart. And, and friends, there's, I believe there are some in this room that have never yet received Christ, called on him, repented of your sins and believed him. Would you do that today? The urgency is real. You need to trust him. If you don't, you will. Jesus says you, he will perish unless you believe in him. Father, I pray that by your might and power, you would come you would bring your help to us. Would you show us your, your glory? Would you work in our lives? I pray that even as we see the baptisms of these young men, that we would remember how you have worked in our lives or you need to, and we need you to do that. Would you please come and help us? And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. This last song that we're gonna sing in preparation for the baptism is a song, a, a crying out, a prayer to God for him to do this work in our lives. Make that your prayer this morning. Let's, let's sing.